So in La Have, you're like you're like next door to Oak Island. Well, it, I can't I can't answer that, Ken. <laughs> that's, that's, not, that's on a need to know basis, I'm afraid. <laughs> The New Brunswick Archaeology Podcast, featuring your hosts, Gabe Reinick and Ken Holyoke. Welcome back to the New Brunswick Archaeology Podcast. I am Gabe Reinick in Fredericton, New Brunswick, and I am joined, like I am, just about every fortnight by Ken Holyoke in Lethbridge, Alberta. How are you, Ken? Uh, very best, Gabe. Very best. We're we're experiencing the windiest week, actually. I think I've experienced since we moved to Lethbridge, and and uh, and 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 I actually we we always start off, and I'm talking about the weather, and one of the things yeah. I've I've recognized <laughs> is that we've recorded all of these sections out of context uh, yeah. with the episodes in which they're coming out, and so there's going to be an episode that comes out a fortnight after this one in which I provide a weather report that will be grossly <laughs> inaccurate. Uh, and and in a in the second part episode of Pseudo-Archaeology, I feel like uh, we, we are uh, confusing our listener by providing them with inaccurate weather reports. Well, you know what caused that, um, Ken? I don't. Chemtrails. Oh, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but the, uh, but yes, the, the, the tumbleweeds have been blowing around here. Um, yeah. uh, but, uh, you know, it's the listener uh, won't know this, but, but in fact, the first time I met Ken, he was still going by the nickname tumbleweed. It was a little, <laughs> it's a little odd, but you know, it's, uh, that's how it works. But no, the, the listener can't see this, but Ken is indoors and he is in a hoodie and a vest and what's left of his hair is billowing in the wind. It's, uh, exactly. It's pretty yeah. Yep. It's it's whistling right through here today. That's right. Um, so as we mentioned, we are the uh, New Brunswick Archaeology Podcast, and we are sponsored by, uh, as we are every fortnight, the Associated Professional Archaeologists of New Brunswick, who just had a, a our first lecture of our lecture season. With, oh, uh, yeah, that's right. That's right, with Haley Monroe, which was great, uh, talking about um, archaeological conservation here in Fredericton. Um, and we are also, Ken... Um, I see over your shoulder a gigantic cardboard box, which I assume is filled with all that money that we just got from uh, the Shirk Lethbridge collab. Would you care to tell the listener a little bit about that? Yeah, so uh, we've been awarded a University of Lethbridge Shirk Exchange Grant, which is basically a knowledge mobilization grant um, aimed at supporting research uh, and dissemination of uh, research results. Um, and ideally sort of communicating to the public about sort of the, the work that you're doing. And so uh, the New Brunswick Archaeology podcast is now proudly sponsored by the University of Lethbridge um, and the Shirk Exchange Program. Um, so Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council. Yes. And thank you very much, Shirk. Thank you very much, Lethbridge. And uh, we could not be happier to have that money. It also means we're going to be doing some uh, some exciting things in the near future. So stay tuned, listener, for that because we... Uh... yeah. We we might um, you may only know us through the power of uh, of long format audio at this juncture, but it turns out you could possibly meet us in person at some point. Yeah, um, and have a much longer evening than you would plan to have <laughs> to go to go see a, a live show that that we will probably need to temper uh, our uh, uh, our talkativeness. Uh, it's true. Least, yeah. The um, uh, I mean, the, the other possibility is that they could. I, I thought when you're going to say that that we I don't know if it's a sneak preview, but we're planning to be at the CAAs. 
Yeah. Um, which is a recipe to have not just a long evening, but a long morning. <laughs> with exactly. So, so the uh, Saskatoon has the benefit of having one of these lovely CP hotels in it. Um, oh, so the, cool. The, the Best Borough in downtown. Uh, it's right on the river, actually, the Delta Best Borough. Um, I'm not sure where the conference is being hosted, but uh, uh, I we, feel like the lounge. Like... Go ahead. This is our thing now, isn't it? That hadn't we decided last time that we were going to try to have a drink in every CP hotel near a CAA? Yeah, I mean, and they always make great cocktails. And and so oh, what absolutely. I've discovered though is it seems like most of these CP hotels have they all have lovely lounges, but it seems like they all have a custom Manhattan for each, um, for each lounge. Oh my goodness, we should. Um... We should almost make this the new the. Well, I mean, we we had already made this a thing, but it should be Manhattan's uh, that we'll do. We should find some, you know, someone we want to chat with and do do Manhattan's at the CP Lounge, or or we'll figure out something. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We we might uh, we might be able to get uh, Gary Copeland on the program because uh, I I think that uh, um uh, he may get dragged there whether he wants to be or not. So yeah. I mean, wait, with the CP Lounge, that stands for Copeland Lounge, doesn't it? I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll encourage him to go regardless. So that'd be great. Do we need a special mic that can capture a lower, uh, lower voice than than we? Well, we I, I don't know. I don't know if we need to turn the gain up or down. That's uh, <laughs> uh that's. <laughs> but I, I think you could take both of our octaves, and we still wouldn't be like uh, as deep as as Gary's as Gary's voice. So. No, it's true. He might have a voice that. Um... It, it would be like when we when you tried to play um Indiana Jones on the xylophone it just wouldn't pick it up it, it's <laughs> possible that, that it thinks he's he's below the typical human range just like that xylophone <laughs> was above you know so it's it's it the, the mic would hear it and it would think that oh that must just be the dishwasher breaking and the... <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah zoom selects out the background noise that, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah so it's brake noise on the box truck outside Exactly. Exactly. Well, we we uh, might have a producer by then, so we might we might be able to to manage that. That'd be great if we had a producer, um, especially for you, since it, the producer is going to fix your your workload somewhat on this, right? I well, I think it'll be like uh, I I do enjoy going back through the episodes and hearing them. They that you know I get a pretty oh, good chuckle, but uh, um, uh, the the editing time does it takes a decent amount of time. That's uh, yeah. Um, and 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 I will say, you know, it's a free program, but Clip Champ is not really what I would call a, a user friendly <laughs> program. <laughs> Although we would like to thank them for their their commitment to the show. For their, so, yeah, yeah, for their endless support. So yeah, yeah. So so Ken, we we've um we uh, this this is my favorite Canadian phrase. We've ragged the puck a bit here on the intro, but um as I was saying, we're still the uh, New Brunswick Archaeology Podcast, and um, that means that we are still. That's right, listeners, still looking for a new name for this podcast, one that just captures the kind of pizzazz, the electricity, the excitement that we bring to you um, every fortnight. And so, uh, Ken, if the listener had a, a name that they thought might be better than the New Brunswick Archaeology podcast, where would they send that name? They would send it to New Brunswick Archaeology, all one word, uh, New Brunswick Archaeology at gmail.com. Uh, archaeology spelled A-R-C-H-A-E-O-L-O-G-Y, New Brunswick Archaeology at gmail.com. That's right. And is there anything in that mailbox tonight for us to share with the listener, Ken? Uh, tonight, we do not have anything in there. No, we've got some podcorn support. Um, uh -huh. Uh -huh. The sponsorship opportunities uh, uh -huh. uh, are endless from podcorn. 
mm-hmm. but listener, we we are always looking for new mail, um, and we do still have a prize pack from Ecofor uh, that uh, right. the lucky the lucky listener who fills out their uh, bingo card. Um, you've got a a vast catalog of New Brunswick Archaeology podcast mm-hmm. uh, episodes to go through to fill out your your uh, bingo card. Um, uh, I don't know if uh, if Wally would be kind enough to do a, a season two uh, version, or if the program has oh, changed enough it. that uh, that uh, that there'd be a season two edition. But yeah, um, we should actually get Wally on to discuss discuss this with us. We should. We should. We, we should do the... a, a live spot with Wally. Yeah, yeah, that would be, the, be a good idea. Yeah, yeah. No, we absolutely should. Um, so, um, so Wally, email in. We'll read it live on air, whether or not you're willing. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. to come on the podcast or not but we'd also we'd, we'd love to hear about um wally's season uh in ontario as well exactly exactly the, and um, so um so but if if they won ken i understand that you have some exciting news for if they were to win yeah yeah so can you take a deep breath in through your nose so wait is that a trick question is it because of this this cold that's going around you're just trying to find out if i have uh have whatever well, what, are you, what are you smelling right now I was smelling that little bit of Couvassier that I just drank. Well, I mean that's that's that is a nice one. But if you were in Studio Five Ninety Eight right now, you'd be wafting a bouquet of cloves, allspice, cinnamon, rich cider, and the finest large format Kentucky bourbon that Costco lock, liquor has to offer. <laughs> Wait, Ken, are it's, you drinking what I think you're drinking? Yes, that's right. It's Remembrance Day is over. This is a Great Northern that I'm holding up, and we have officially entered the festive festive season through all of North America. Mm-hmm. And with uh, the other Thanksgiving happening south of the border this weekend, we're all going to be ringing in fr- our Friday by purchasing large format electronics for what is perceived to be a deal and stampeding precarious workers in, re- in pursuit of uh, uh, in retail in the pursuit of the hottest toy of the season. And we at the New Brunswick Archaeology podcast would not want you listener to miss out on the fun. So if you listener can rename the New Brunswick Archaeology podcast this week, our prize package has for you a Black Friday special of New Brunswick Archaeology podcast proportions. And so in this in this Black Friday special, we are talking about a Series 1 and Series 2 sticker, an 8-meter wow. or 1,200-foot measuring tape, an authentic Alberta <laughs> belt buckle, and 10-gallon hat. That's at least 55 liters of fun by my calculation. <laughs> 24 strips of teriyaki-seasoned bison jersey, jerky, a case of Brunswick mustard and dill sardines, a wheel of Oka cheese, <laughs> a special edition New Brunswick Archaeology podcast trowel sharpened perfectly to serve that cheese with, a loaf of Gay Brynick sourdough, and a two liter Coburn's non-alcoholic apple cider, along with my own custom mulling spices recipe. Oh my goodness. And the, the best part of this deal is this is not a Black Friday deal that's taking 10% off. 50% off, even 75% off. We are talking a 100% free to you listener. And all you need to do is rename this podcast and give us your intellectual property in perpetuity. And you will have this hottest Black Friday deal that we can offer this year on the New Brunswick Archaeology Podcast. Well, Ken, that is fantastic. And I think we should possibly just mention to the listener that there may be tax implications of this sweet deal they're about to get. And they should consult with their personal accountant. But the other than that, <laughs> I think that is incredible. The, um, uh, I mean, just the, it's swag on swag. It's swag on swag, and and you could use it to have a a, a Friday in. Um, Friday you could host out. a party with this package. Oh, you absolutely. could throw it in your backpack and just uh, wander around the town. 
you also could get a torso sized bottle of Kentucky bourbon from Costco. <laughs> Um, and, and, and serve up that two liters of apple cider in the way that I'm enjoying this evening. Well, Ken, that is fantastic. And if the listener, if the listener wants to be, uh, wearing a hat, swigging Costco whiskey and, um, and, uh, other, just otherwise having a great mulling spiced time, where would they send that? Uh, they, would that send, <laughs> they would send it to New Brunswick archaeology at gmail.com. That is New Brunswick archaeology, all one word. Uh, archaeology spelled a-r-c-h-a-e-o-l-o-g-y new brunswick archaeology at gmail.com that's great listener don't mull it over too long send it right in and uh and you might be winning that exciting prize and so ken um speaking of a bit it's a bit of a prize uh, you were saying that um you you mentioned the hottest toy of the season but probably one of the hottest <laughs> toys of the season is also daryl kelman who we're about to have on here yes yeah uh hottest boys of the season i know what we call it you know the <laughs> Um, as, as, uh, as we shared after, uh, uh, Daryl, I think we, we forgot to tell him to stay on the call. Um, so, so, um, uh, but we, we had kept him pretty late, uh, yeah. on, I think it was like a Tuesday night or something, but, uh, uh, uh Daryl is a good friend of ours, a colleague, uh, um, uh, CRM former archaeologist, AP&B, uh, board member, former AP and B board member, a business owner, um, works in CRM in, uh, Atlanta, Canada, um, uh, his business, Kelman Heritage Consulting, is still active, but he is um, uh, now the, the senior archaeologist with uh, WSP, um, right. uh, working in Nova Scotia. Um, and we've known Daryl for a number of years through the APNB, but also through um, just kind of meeting up and becoming yeah. friends at conferences, right? And, yes. and uh, um, for those of you that have a, had the, the great opportunity to hang out with Daryl, um, he's a, a, a ton of fun and uh, um, also just a really brilliant guy. And I think what you'll find uh, in this interview is how incredibly complimentary uh, everything that he says is to the conversation that we had with Steph just a couple, a few weeks ago, right? And, yes. and uh, how the, um, without really, I, I think we maybe didn't plan this as well as we should have, but through through a lack of planning, we somehow hit the nail on having two sort of totally different perspectives, um, both of whom kind of basically came to the same conclusion with, with how we approach pseudoarchaeology, um, how you deal with it effectively, um, and how you talk to the public about this, right? And how yes. people, um, and how I think both you and I actually sort of picked up on stuff that maybe we've both been doing wrong and kind of been, absolutely uh, we, we've been grumpier about these things and kind of uh, the wrong way. Um, yes. And, yeah, yeah. And, and, and one thing and, I'm struck, I'm always struck by 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 Daryl and I, I saw Stephanie too, um, is that they are uh, they tend to see the best in people. Yes. Um, which is an instinct I would like to cultivate in myself. Um, <laughs> uh, but 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 they sort of have down. Um, and and their ability to to say, well, uh, no, that person's intentions are are much better than than they may first appear uh, is is substantial. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I think that's fair, and and um, and I think it's too uh, a recognition, you know, like we what we've been trying to do with this show is sort of bring archaeology to a, a wider audience, like a non-disciplinary audience, um, to people who are interested in history and maybe haven't had uh, and archaeology and maybe haven't had a venue uh, in which to engage that through. Um, but one of the things that Daryl pointed out, and I think Stephanie did this too, is that um, you can actually do that on the job day to day 
with people, even when they bring up, you know, ancient aliens or the curse of Oak Island or things like that, right? That that's, that is actually a foot in the door to start a conversation about yeah. what it is we really do. And, and, and I think the listener will find one of the most um, sort of, I, I think that Daryl kind of drew this out and, and in a really effective way that he said, you know, he's been doing archeology span in the Maritimes for over 15 years. And he said, it wasn't until about seven or eight years ago that he started getting questions about the type of archaeology we're doing and not questions about how many bones and how much gold did you find. Right, right. Um, and, and that people now know what an archaeologist is because of these programs, even if um, the programs themselves don't have the kind of messaging that we would hope that they would have. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think one of the um, the things that Daryl really brings to this is that uh, so he's in cultural resource management, but he's really used um, his position in cultural resource management to be involved in all sorts of public facing aspects of the discipline. Yeah. Um, you know, through the Nova Scotia Art Society, his, uh, his time with the APANB, um, and also just that that uh, he's an engaging fellow, which I think is, is <laughs> yeah, too good. Yeah. He, I, when Ken and I realized we absolutely had to have him on, actually, we were at the... Um, uh, were we, I can't remember if the party had actually started, but we were having having that sort of hotel party for uh, Dave Blackwood and Smith Wittenberg. Yeah, yeah, and, number two. Uh, yeah, and, and Daryl just recounted uh, completely monotone and dryly uh, and a, a, a sort of a, a parody of Oak Island that had us cry laughing. Um, and we thought, well, <laughs> yeah. perhaps perhaps that's the ticket so <laughs> yeah yeah and and just about got us there again in the in the interview i think it was uh, it was pretty close so um yeah. but so so if the listener hadn't picked up uh today's episode um uh i think we previewed this on the episode with stephanie um but it was like three years ago that we recorded that so yeah um, now we're one uh, took over the line sweet jesus right i think is that the one oak over the line oh no, I can't. I can't listen there. <laughs> I'm gonna have to bleep that. Oh, <laughs> yeah, you are. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I even like planned that ahead. I was like setting that up, and then I forgot that you're gonna have to edit that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Whoops. Sorry about that. <laughs> uh... <laughs> Wait. So, oh, I'm, just, I'm just gonna leave this in. Uh, okay. So. <laughs> <laughs> so so we won't we won't rewind it yeah that's too bad i set that joke up and i forgot that you're gonna have to edit it oh well <laughs> um so so we are talking about um so we're continuing our our uh, two-part series on pseudo-archaeology um which may become you know one of these uh um uh what's the gentleman the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy why can't i think of this the author's name adams Adams, yeah, the, yeah, it'll be a trilogy in in three part or a trilogy in five parts kind of thing. Yeah, and, yeah, uh, exactly. So it'll be a two episode um, in uh, a, a two part episode in in four or five parts over the course of the season. Yeah, in which um, the weather is constantly changing. Exactly, exactly, yeah. and uh, seems out of step with what you're seeing outside. Um, but uh, we're we're talking in particular about the um, the Curse of Oak Island show, and so the listener may be familiar with it. It's a program that runs on on History Channel. Um, I believe it is in its ninth season. I don't know, season? Ken. Um, the listener will learn that you and I haven't really watched this. Uh, we, I crammed for it by listening to hours and hours of podcasts on a long drive about it. Yeah, uh, have and you I, seen it? 
I watched the first season, I think, um, at least okay. the first season. Um, I don't know if I got into the second season, but um, it, it, you know, it was one of these things that I think was sort of a guilty pleasure at first. And then it kind of just, it, you know, then it was just guilty. Then it was, <laughs> it was just guilty. Exactly. <laughs> um, and so, um, so we don't delve too deeply on it, but one of the things I thought would be kind of a fun way to, uh, to, before we segue into our interview with, with Daryl is to talk about, um, so, you know, Oak Island is this, is fairly famous myth. And we kind of talk about where the background of it came from, but like, um, I think the, the listener and, and, and actually email in or, or, or make a comment on Instagram when this episode comes out or something like that. Um, some of the tales you may have heard about sort of archeology span or these myths that, that come up in, in the Maritimes. And so do you have any from Maine in particular or, or ones that you've picked up on in your career in the Maritimes? I mean, I just think it's it's the obsession with Vikings. Okay, yeah, yeah. Like, like kind of kind of writ large. I think I think enthusiasm for Vikings uh, would have to be mine. And and I I think the Viking thing is is particularly. It reminds me of and and so I should just say that that also some of the absolute nicest people I know are are into the Viking thing. Um, but it, oh, go ahead. And is this in the in the sense that like. It's not just Lanso Meadows. It's it's that they're they were everywhere, like the the, the Norse penny thing. I'm guessing. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it's yeah. It, or just this idea. I mean, there's the Norse runestone, right? That's at the Yarmouth Museum. Um, I don't know if I know that one. Oh yeah, it's a hoax. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, and uh, yeah, and I I just I think this. I mean, I think probably if you went if you scraped really deep on it, it probably taps into something sinister. But I think at the, the most superficial um, level, the Norse thing is, um, and I think you remember Dave Black telling us this, was that it would be as if a couple guys from Cahokia decided to go on a fishing trip to the Miramichi and they dropped a penny and we decided to devote about half of Canada's archaeological interest to tracking down the exact route of their fishing trip <laughs> and and that has always struck me as being essentially um the the attitude towards norse but but what's your favorite um well i mean but i but i also i you know I, i've got a lot of time for the insane chinese road you know remember this this thing in nova scotia the yeah it's hard to believe it's the exact width of the narrow gauge railroad it must be a, <laughs> some sort of magical ratio um yeah I, I so when I was working with Stantec, um, I, I actually didn't get take the call, and 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 maybe we should have interviewed Janice, um, uh, uh, friend friend of the friend of the friend of the show, uh, Janice, uh, <laughs> a colleague of ours, um, who Janice uh, is far too bright to listen to us. She was just, <laughs> she's had enough. Yeah. Um, who took a call from a member of the public uh, in northern New Brunswick. Um, uh, and, and part of the reason she took the call was that the gentleman was francophone um, and uh, and Janice was the only person um, in the archaeology group at that time uh, who spoke uh, fluent French. And so she um, kind of went back and forth and was jotting down sort of notes for us to kind of follow the conversation and, and, and uh, uh, sort of ran it down for us afterwards. And, and this gentleman had been working in his, on his property um, and had found uh, an underground bunker of some kind on his property uh, that he attributed to um, uh, the Dauphin. Um, and I, so I'm guessing this is Louis, is it Louis the 14th or 16th uh, during sure. the French Revolution? Um, I should probably, I should probably should have written that All down. All my Louis overlap at that point. It, uh, 
but, um, but, but, it but was, they had a bunker? It, uh, yeah, so so my understanding is that the tale is that the um, uh, during the French Revolution, uh, prior to um, the nobility being sort of overrun, uh, they, uh, the Dauphin, so the son of the king, was sort of ushered out of the kingdom. And there's all these rumors about where he ended up. Um, and one of them was apparently that he ended up in somewhere outside of Saint-Quentin uh, in northern New Brunswick um, in in a, the safety of this bunker. Uh, and that there are, my understanding was that alongside this um, was that uh, he has descendants in the area that uh, um, can trace their lineage to this uh, expat royal and so and I, and I can't wow. remember if there was a motivation here that it was sort of to reclaim the crown or anything but uh, um, but but uh, it sounded like he had encountered maybe an old foundation wall um, um, if if there had been a structure uh, we never got a chance to investigate it that uh, this was not a, a paying client um, yeah but yeah uh, <laughs> Um, but yeah, that, but that we will certain... take, we'll, we'll take your sponsorship if you're listening. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, call exactly. it and, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so, so, you know, there, there are a number of these, I mean, you know, like I grew up in Keswick Ridge and one of the big stories there is about, uh, I talk about it in the interview with Daryl, but Curry mountain, um, sort yeah, of yeah. halfway between Fredericton and, and Keswick Ridge. And, and there's sort of yeah, this story. It's a secret Indian restaurant, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Curry, Curry mountain. Uh, it, it was apparently a privateer or a pirate ship made its way up the Wolostog, uh, uh in the 18th century, where, ran ashore, um, and they they went and uh, scurried up the mountain and buried treasure in the mountain. So there's always stories about people going up there to dig up treasure when I was a kid. And oh, That's um, a real Oak Island um, kind of parallel there. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, they thought and, about cashing in? Well, so <laughs> so what's what's interesting, though, is, is that... Um, a few years ago, uh, a friend of mine uh, inherited uh, or or acquired this cannon that was part of where, like, the myth, the lore of this had uh-huh. always been that there was this this farmer that lived down the end of our road in this old, very old century barn, um, and there had been rumors for a long time. But he lived he in the this, barn. He lived in the house, but there was a barn that oh, had this the cannon, cannon lived in, in the it. barn. Right. Okay. The cannon lived in the barn, and this always and like I always assumed that this was just you know. A story well so i see i've now seen the canon and and it is without <laughs> question like an 18th century british canon um but without huh. you know any provenance but uh and and but pres- was tied into this this curry mountain myth so no kidding if any listener can can provide a little bit more detail on that story um uh, or any of these stories i mean i'd be curious to see uh where where they come from and what the um you know what the what the sort of thread is that that gets drawn out yeah that's right listener if you're a norse descendant we'd love to hear your your family story and maybe a little genealogy here about how you how you managed to find your way here to the <laughs> the maritimes or even to lethbridge alberta or even to lethbridge alberta yeah i'm sure there's Absolutely. lots of local myths around here i mean yeah, no, we have one we have one in the premier's office right now so that's uh <laughs> Wait, is, is Marjorie Taylor Green the head? Of- <laughs> <laughs> Not far off. Um, so uh, I think that um, I don't know. Do we want to just roll into uh, roll into the conversation with Daryl here? I think we're going to roll into the conversation with Daryl. Um, and I think uh, I think uh, oh, we should cue the listener that there were a few technical glitches. Yeah, I think I got most of those sorted out though. Oh, holy cow! Okay, good for you. Um, but uh, but in case the listener hears something 
Uh, it was just, I think the internet in all, you know, all three of our places was on and off. That yeah. yeah. So, so I think actually when I was listening to it, his audio actually was not screwed up. We were getting thrown off by his video being kind of janky. Oh, um, okay. But the audio kind of just went along, went along with things. Oh, that's great. Good. Okay. So listener, when you hear Ken and I sound bewildered, it's because Daryl's face is not moving, but his sound is. <laughs> Which is how he tells jokes anyway. So don't worry about it. It's yeah, yeah, exactly. It's just yeah, yeah. Um, so but yeah, and, and we really appreciate Daryl coming on. He um is uh just one of these kind of all-star um archaeologists who uh is doing an awful lot of good, I think, in the region. Um totally. He's and got a, and a and a great person. If you if you're if you run into him out monitoring or something, um, uh, you know he seems capable of striking up conversation with anybody. He is absolutely, and we tell you to hire him. Except that I think he actually has work booked out through twenty forty eight. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So so we're gonna put his contact information in the show notes. And so if you're if you're looking to pick up a shovel and head to Nova Scotia, I'm sure I'm sure Daryl would take you. <laughs> All right, can we hold his business card up to the camera before we cut to uh, Daryl's interview? Yeah, yeah, there we go. So. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it is our special guest star, Daryl Kelman. Tonight, listener, we're joined by Daryl Kelman, who has a BA in history from Waterloo and a master's in history um, from St. Andrews, and that focused in heritage resource management, which is what I understand in the UK they call cultural resource management. Um, and he's worked in CRM in Atlanta, Canada for over a decade and also has extensive experience in Ontario the UK, Italy, and in Panama. He's been on the board of virtually every Maritimes archaeology organization at one point or another, uh, including uh, with, with I think Ken and I on the board of the New Brunswick Archaeology, uh, the Association of Professional Archaeologists of New Brunswick, and more recently uh, on the Nova Scotia, Nova Scotia Archaeological Society and the Archaeological Land Trust of Nova Scotia. And he is currently the president and principal archaeologist for Kelman Heritage Consulting. Is that, uh, is that all still accurate, Daryl? uh yeah it's it's accurate although i would say um i'm now although kelman heritage still exists i'm now um senior archaeologist with uh wsp and i've been doing oh, okay. that more for the last uh two or three years it's been more my full-time gig and and, and, in terms, okay. and in terms of nova scotia archaeology society um i was very much involved but that was probably about 10 years ago. I don't want it to come across okay. that I'm still, a, I'm still super involved. Uh, <laughs> don't worry, Daryl. We'll, we'll play up anything you want here. On the, <laughs> we appreciate you coming on. <laughs> the, uh, so, so, yeah, that's right. You heard it here first, listener. Daryl owns the Nova Scotia Archaeological Society. I think he's actually broadcasting from their headquarters. Um, <laughs> but So how was your season with WSP? Did you guys have a good season? Oh yeah, well, yeah. I mean, it's uh, as you guys know in consulting, the season never ends, so it's uh, it's still going. And actually, the fall is often our busiest time. So we've we've been busy, and I expect in the next few weeks we're going to get a lot of a lot of requests to get things done yeah. before the snow flies. So yeah, yeah. I think the panic fo- the panicked phone calls are starting here in southern Alberta as it's snowing right now. Uh, I'm sure every company is getting that. Uh, that last whisper of uh, oh, it's gonna melt next week. I'm sure we can get you. We can get you back out there. Yeah, has it been? It's been total madness. Yeah, I, I mean, like, oh, hear, sorry. 
Oh, sorry, no, I, I was just going to say out, out here in, in, in Nova Scotia, you know, the snow might not come until January, so um, they, they want you to keep going. And then, of course, in New Brunswick, it could be quite different, northern to southern. So, yeah, you know, it's just get get it done, get it done, and, well, we'll do the best we can. <laughs> Absolutely. It's been, it's been total madness out uh, in CRM everywhere, I think, lately. Yeah, it's a booming industry. Should let let yeah. all your all your younger listeners should know it's a booming industry. <laughs> well, we'll put Daryl's uh, email address in the uh, in the show notes, and you can reach out to him for. Uh, 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 he'll be he'll, he's stocking up on crew as we speak, folks. Yeah, That's, yeah. Uh... It's jobs at Kelman.ca, I think. Is that yeah. the... <laughs> the but but the real point to take home here is that uh, Daryl Kelman is what they would call on the show Oak Island a top pocket find. I think that's what we were driving for on the intro here. And um and so he's wow. really here to um <laughs> that was good. to talk. That was good. Oh, that, oh, thank you. I appreciate that, Daryl. So, Daryl, I've never actually seen this show, but I I've listened. <laughs> I listened to six hours today of podcast about the Oak Island uh, TV show, and then watched a, a series of YouTube clips. I've never watched the show all the way through. Um, so, but so so wait. Listen, so these were. These were not podcasts about Oak Island. These were podcasts about the Oak Island show specifically. That's right. Yeah, that's that's what we call show prep in the biz, Ken. So, but like, but they're like the podcasts aren't like necessarily about stories about Oak Island. It's like these are it's like the breaking down the episodes kind of podcast. Oh yeah, and then discussion. Uh, it, I I listen to some what in baseball we call hot stove talk in between the seasons. They talk um, oh, about wow. what might be coming. Huh. Um. There's at least a half dozen of these podcasts, each of which seems to be more popular than the one we are currently hosting. <laughs> but so I don't know that we've tipped the listener off yet, but what we're here to talk about um, is uh, we're really here to ask uh, Daryl how many more people must die before the treasure of Oak Island reveals itself. But the uh, <laughs> but but as the listener will know, at you least, know, last week at least one, at least at one. least one, yeah. <laughs> to bring it to, to seven, I learned on these podcasts yeah. today. But the um, but we had uh, Steph uh, Homhofer on uh, last fortnight to talk about pseudoarchaeology, so thought we thought we'd go local. And Ken and I had a really good conversation with Daryl about the Oak Island television show, which is now at the curse of Oak Island. Now in season 11, it's um, on the History Channel and it's produced by Prometheus Studios. And Daryl, correct me if any of this is wrong, but it deals with a legend that began in 1701 about buried treasure. Probably Captain Kidd's buried treasure, I guess, was the idea. Um, And then uh, that was supposed to be about two million pounds. And since then... Legend has grown to include things like Marie Antoinette's treasure, the Knights Templar, the number of people who've died treasure hunting um, in these surely not health and safety proof pits. Um, and the thing appears to be pseudo-archaeology. Is that more or less correct? Uh, well, yeah, in terms of it being pseudo-archaeology, yes. Um, everything you said before about what it may or may not be um I don't know all of the details. I only started watching the show in season eight. <laughs> so all the uh, previous uh, iterations of what they thought they were looking for or, or anything like that, uh, I'm I'm not an expert on, and I, I wouldn't ever claim to be. <laughs> so Daryl, you grew up on you grew up on the East Coast, right? Uh, no, I actually grew up in Ontario. Oh, okay. So 
Are either of you familiar with, so the way that I learned about Oak Island was, are either of you familiar with the book, The The Hand of Robin Squires? No. It's, so it's this no. novel, um, and I should, I should, I should have written down the name of the author. Um, but as I was doing the, the prep for this, I came across the name of the book and I was like, oh, that's, this is where I learned about Oak Island. And it was a book that we read in school about basically this young boy that goes out, his uncle, uh, he's a British boy that's brought to Nova Scotia with his uncle who is, uh, I think the claim is that he's, he's there to, for some, on some mission for the king and country or whatever. And he meets a young Migba boy uh, and they, um happen upon this pit which turn which is like the money pit basically the sort of the the crux of where all this stuff is um and and it as it turns out his his you know through the story his uncle is the privateer is a privateer and you know it involves like he hires like there's like slaves like black slaves that are into like in the story uh that are you know part of like burying this treasure that he's plundered from somebody um and then the the the, the hand is that the boy is like uh, his uncle sort of chains him on to this thing and then uh cuts it, uh, the uh, Mi the Mi'kmaq boy comes back to save him and chops his hand off to get him out of his shackles uh and they abscond and then he he goes down to somewhere in New England basically um but this is like my exposure to it and and I I had always thought in my head my head canon was was that this was the source of it because I thought it was like but but this is a novelization of this origin story, Gabe, and it's like one of the various like kind of retellings of of what the source of it is. Sometimes it's a group of teenage boys, sometimes it's this Robin Squires, and and uh, but it's never never entirely clear. But it all centers on the money pit. Well, it makes me miss the battle days, Ken. When when my introduction to Canadiana was eighteen beers and uh, heritage minutes, but the <laughs> with you, but the <laughs> but um. So yeah, so I I guess maybe if if what is the what is the show about? I guess is where we would sort of maybe start. Well, my my, my understanding, and again, I only started watching in season eight, so I don't know what they did prior to that. But the 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 show is about a search. It's it's a it's a treasure hunt. It's a search for this uh, treasure that is according to. Um, local legend and you know the the story that ken was just describing um there is some sort of treasure buried on oak island which people have been looking for for the last uh 50 60 years or so and um in doing so they have uh well done a lot of uh, excavations on the island um extensive extensive excavations on the island and the story it's 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 just uh it just keeps getting bigger and bigger you know every time it's it goes from you know um you know whatever the treasure is you you, you hear these stories that maybe it's something even more fantastic than just treasure um not that the show gets into that too much at least uh lately but uh yeah, as far as I can understand, it's just these these two guys who are um, uh, American. I'm not entirely sure where they're from or what where their money's from, but uh, the Lagina brothers, and they seem genuinely interested. It was a story I guess one of them had heard as a kid, and he wants to find the treasure, and his older brother 
or a younger brother, I can't remember which one's older, um, wants to help them. They seem to have a reasonable amount of uh, funding behind them and uh, and away they go. <laughs> they, they, they found their money pit and that is, <laughs> that is the island, I guess. That's, uh... <laughs> yeah, exactly. The, um... exactly. Exactly. That is one of the kind of uh, the, one of the jokes or comments is that the the actual money is the fact that the show has been on for ten years. It's going into its eleventh season. They still haven't found it, but the the show keeps going, and uh, the the guys running the show seem to be doing all right. And I mean, it's providing a boost to the local economy in a in a way. So maybe that is the treasure. <laughs> yeah, it might, it might well be. The but but speaking of treasure, one one would ordinarily think in this situation that the treasure would actually be the the numerous lawsuits being filed. You, you, you would just intuitively think that this would be um, not legal. But my understanding is that there was in Nova Scotia a Trevor Treasure Trove Act, and now there's an Oak Island Act. Um, is this something that you could sort of catch us up on, or or give us a kind of cliff notes on? I can try um, because I, I I I was involved a bit in uh, in in the repealing of the Treasure Trove Act, so uh, I don't remember exactly what year the Treasure Trove Act came in into being, but it was really designed to be um, uh, an act where you could look for treasure on Oak Island, um, similar to the way the British have a, a have a treasure trove sort of system where. If you were to find a, a, a hoard of gold or copper or some kind of rare jewels um, that were buried on your your property, the the government would get you know some of it for the the research purposes, but you would actually get a lot of the monetary uh, components of it. The problem was in Nova Scotia, the legislation for just all of archaeology in general was fairly weak, and the Treasure Trove Act, which was where a lot of this work on Oak Island was uh, operating under prior to the show. Um, it was being applied to uh, other resources, particularly shipwrecks. And that was a big deal is that uh, people would say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going for this treasure trove act, but I'm, I'm excavating on a shipwreck. And the archeological community fought that for years and years. And so when I, showed up in Nova Scotia and started uh, doing archaeology, it was already a, a battle that was happening. And around 2010 or so, um, finally convinced the government to repeal the Treasure Trove Act as it existed and put things like shipwrecks under just the normal Special Places Protection Act, which covers all of archaeological resources. But they then also created the Oak Island Act, which is a separate act, and it covers only Oak Island. And it, it, it just covers, you know, searching for treasure on Oak Island. And part of the reason why they did that was um, because the island is, well, in their mind at the time, was so heavily disturbed because of all this constant treasure hunting that they didn't really need to worry about other things being found necessarily on the island, which hasn't turned out exactly the way I think it, it was intended. But um, so, yeah, the, the 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 deep digging anyway that happens on Oak Island on the show um, is all covered under a different act. So it is technically not considered archaeological 
and special places is isn't overly concerned about it and 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 in a lot of cases rightfully so some of it is stuff that has just been it's been excavated and excavated and excavated and excavated um but there are sections of oak island obviously that has been shown through the show that are not um as heavily disturbed as they once thought so is there a considerable so lobby to keep it from being so so that that seems like an interesting carve out right to just sort of immediately be like well oak island is fine because that if, if you're the government you're sort of sitting there being like well there are presumably important ships there are other interesting things that we've been diving on what was the lobby that drove the carve out for the oak island act do you think that's a good question i, I i'm not entirely sure i think and and I, Again, I'm not entirely sure. It may have just been a a, a case of uh, you know um, pick your battles kind of thing. Sure. It's like you know what, you know keep keep Oak Island as a place where people can look for treasure um, and um, make sure they don't go looking for treasure on shipwrecks. And <laughs> that's <laughs> that interesting. Kind of yeah. So if they sort of pick yeah. over Oak Island, they won't be running around on shipwrecks. Yeah. And... So so you mentioned though that. Um... That there are parts of the island that are less disturbed and that in recent seasons on the show they've come across stuff so in like maybe provide some background on that and and in that context does that mean that does the historic places act which is the act that sort of protects archaeological uh, uh resources throughout nova scotia and you know presume and and like many acts in in canada basically prohibits you know, disturbance of an archaeological site or conducting archaeological work without a permit. So is there, does the Historic Places Act apply to certain parts of Oak Island or can it apply to the whole island, but in sort of like the top surfaces or do you sort of, it's it's up to a group of people to determine whether or not it's undisturbed enough that the Historic Places Act applies? Like how is that, or do you do you have a sense of how that works and, and how it's being applied sort of in the active work that's going on at Oak Island today? Well, that's a good question. And uh, as as an outsider, as somebody who's in the business, but also watching the show, I'm not 100% sure. But um, the last couple years of the show, they have been very um, explicit that the work they're doing is under permit, and they have a permitted archaeologist on site. And what I believe is that there are certain sections of the island where the archaeologist is allowed to say, you know, it's heavily disturbed, go ahead and do whatever you want, you know, dig as deep as you want, because they're using giant, like boring machines that just go down way, 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 way down. And um, I think in those cases, the archaeologist is like, yeah, go ahead. But there are also other sections of the island where the archaeologist is, I think, doing proper work this just that doesn't get televised because it's not it doesn't fit the narrative of the show it's not fascinating and all that um it seems like a, really a missed say, opportunity you know to like well, highlight that absolutely absolutely <laughs> it is a totally missed opportunity um but um i can't really i don't really know because i'm not involved i'm just an outsider watching the show um, but I get the impression that there is actually some really, really fascinating archaeology happening on the island, but it doesn't fit the narrative of the show. 
so we don't get to see it. Hopefully, we will eventually. <laughs> um, but yeah, in terms of whether they're following the rules and all that, yeah, I'm sure they are. I'm, I mean, I don't think there's any way the show would be happening if, if there was anything um, nefarious going on or if they weren't obeying the rules. And they and like I said, in the last couple seasons, they seem to be pretty explicit about the fact that they do have a permanent archaeologist who does this other work um, to let them do what they're doing. Yeah. So that the show can continue. Yeah. yeah. The podcasts were rather agitated about that point. Apparently, in I think it was season, I want to say nine, was that when, when they had a slow start due to the some permitting trouble involving a wetland? Yeah. Yeah. So um, from the show, um, if I recall, the, the, the archaeological team actually identified a Mi'kmaq site and they had found some Mi'kmaq artifacts and that, that slowed a lot of activity for obvious reasons <laughs> in terms of what, what an archaeologist would say. But I think a lot of fans of the show got a little upset saying, well, why, why is that happening? And uh, it's because they had identified, uh, you know, an actually significant uh, site. So, you know, due process and you, you got to do you know, regulatory, but also just ethically and what an archaeologist would do. Uh, sometimes that doesn't make the most exciting TV. <laughs> yeah, sure. So, yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And, and so, Ken, actually, I, I'm wondering as as I I hear this, um, and I hear you know we're we're talking about this this particular sort of the Oak Island Act, right? That makes me think a lot about the advocacy you're doing at the CAA level for federal heritage legislation, which one imagines <laughs> would not include something such as the Oak Island Act. And I wonder um, if you have any thoughts about um, that. About how the Oak Island Act relates to the federal heritage legislation or, or about perhaps the Oak Island Act sort of as a, an argument for federal legislation or something. Yeah, to be, I, I, mean, I mean, the highly localized things. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the challenge there is that so in Canada and, and you know, and to a certain extent, uh, the states, but more so in Canada, um, archaeological regulation and legislation has been devolved to the provinces and territories. Right. And so um, anything that falls within provincial or territorial jurisdiction um, uh, is is basically uh, land re like, you know, surface resources along with archaeological resources are considered um, sort of the jurisdiction of the of the province. Right. And so funny enough, like with, with Oak Island, so you, you'd have federal jurisdiction over the water between the Island itself and the shoreline and, and actually to the high tide line, probably in both uh, areas. Um, but you have provincial jurisdiction on the islands themselves. Right. And so even, even were federal heritage legislation passed, I'm not sure how much of an, an impact it would have on this in part, because there's sort of this like, um, I think there's this kind of balance they have to do where the in within the federation they kind of have to, you know, play ball with each other and and uh, respect each other's territories. And and I don't think because of the way that the Bill C twenty three is crafted, it's not going to provide um, a sort of more robust archaeological protection for um, archaeology falling on provincial or territorial lands. Um, but I mean, it it does you know it would probably 
provide sort of a, a better background to, you know, why are the, there sort of exclusions to the Historic Places Act? And in particular, I think one of the things kind of interesting to this is that, you know, the Historic Places Act and the work that's gone on, the archaeology work that's discovered that there are intact Mi'kmaq sites there sort of calls into question why the Oak Island Act is even allowed to sort of, you know, continue, right? Because even... In, in most cases, and and Daryl, you can probably attest to this working in CRM, and I've attested to it working in CRM. Um, even when you're working under archaeological permits, you have the authority as an archaeologist to make a you know a judgmental call in an area that we don't need to do archaeological work here because you know there's there's uh, eight feet of of crushed rock down to bedrock here, and so there's absolutely nothing archaeological remaining, right? And so. The Oak Island Act, in some ways, is sort so, of just sorry, Ken, that, that crushed rock I learned on the podcast today is actually it's it's the road they built to load the treasure chest into the uh, into the, the money the, pit. This, is this the Roman road uh, or the Atlantean? Yeah, I, no, road? no, no. It's, I, it might just be practical to just keep your um, oh. you know your nice Templar. I don't want to get their boots wet. Yeah, it's Portuguese. Oh, is it? I, <laughs> I missed that there. <laughs> okay, <laughs> thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Would you care to? <laughs> <laughs> the listener no. cannot see, but but my, my I don't care to elaborate. <laughs> yeah, both of my co-hosts just took a deep swig of their whiskey as they pondered their, <laughs> their experience with that question. But yeah. <laughs> and so so Daryl, I think I think you kind of touched on something interesting. And so you've talked a little bit about how so they've actually been finding some interesting archaeological stuff. And we brought this up earlier. Um uh, you know. What is sort of the what is archaeology losing from uh, not being able to promote sort of you know the archaeology that we all do uh, in a, in a way that like you know we talked about this with Stephanie as well like do we is it on the is it is it the fault of the archaeologists that we're not able to sort of promote archaeology in the kinds of ways that you get this glitzy high production value uh, uh, television show on the History Channel and still find really fascinating stuff like these Mi'kmaq artifacts and these intact sites. And that, you know, this, this, uh, this Island that's been pockmarked by, you know, machinery since the 19th century. Um, uh, somehow there's still some really intact, like kind of fascinating stuff there. Like, is it kind of on us to promo that sort of stuff better? Is it on, you know, um, uh, to be able to kind of make like, it, can we, can we get these sort of compelling sort of, you know, six podcasts about a show narratives going in archaeology that we can promote sort of, you know, ethical and responsible and and sort of uh, uh, sort of daily practice archaeology in a way that, you know, uh, looking for treasure of, uh, you know, Marie Antoinette's jewels or uh, um, uh, what's uh, what else? What are some of these other ones here? Um, I, I read, I read Atlantis. I read, I read one of them that Atlantis came up, um, as, as it usually does in a lot of these things, but uh, it, it all, comes, but, it seems to all come back to the Knights Templar. They're very into the Knights Templar having a lot of, yeah, and, and Masons. Yeah. Lots of Masons. Yeah. And, and apparently, uh, um, uh, Franklin Roosevelt was involved at one point was, a was funding this. Oh, you don't say, no, I, I thought he was Campobello, which was a different one without, a, without a special act. That's okay. Yeah. But, but yeah, so so what do you uh, think, yeah. Daryl? Like, is it something that we can work better at? Is it like, is it just that the archaeology we do isn't conducive to you know these these supercuts um, of you know like you recovering a flake from a screen and and uh, the camera kind of panning in really quickly? 
yeah. Well, uh, uh, well, two things. First, um, I do believe one of the Roosevelts was involved because they do seem to mention him on the show. But honestly, I can't remember what what the details were on that. But yeah, I I would say, uh, Ken, to your main question, um, I I I do think in this instance it's the responsibility of um, the archaeological community to get more involved um, because the pseudo archaeologists, the the people that make the show, the, the producers, um, they're just going to do what they're going to do. And they have an audience and they know they have an audience. And so for professional archeologists, whether they be academic or uh, consultants, um, it's up to us to um, get involved and get involved in the conversation and, and not, not in an antagonistic way, just, um, you know, in, a, in, a, in an open discussion. And I find, and maybe you guys have as well, you know, I introduce myself to someone, I'm out working on some site and somebody says, oh, what do you do? And I'm like, oh, I'm the archaeologist. Oh, have you ever heard of this Oak Island show? And I mean, that's perfect. Perfect. You can go in, you don't go into it and say, what a stupid show. I hate it. You go in and you go, yeah, I've seen it. What do you think about it? And then you you get this discussion going, and and you you open up that discussion to to people, and you kind of you get to a point where you can say to them, well, here are the issues that I have with the show, but this is based on you know what I know, and this is you know based on my experience, and then what do you think? You know, and 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 you you open it up as a discussion, not as a not as an attack, not as a how dare you watch Oak Island? You must be an idiot. You know, it, it, and I think it is on us uh, as the archaeologists to do that because the the sort of pseudo archaeological group, the people that believe this stuff and perpetuate this stuff, they're very active. They they will say they'll they're all over social media, like you say. They've got podcasts, they've got blogs. They're all over the place. Um, and one of their arguments is that us, the, the professional archaeologists, um, you know, one of their things is, well, the, the professional, professional archaeologist is going to tell you that I'm lying. Well, yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, it's like the, the, the fake news. It's like, well, it's fake news. But, you know, what we need to do is, is, is open up the discussions and, and have those discussions with people. Um, and I think that's, that's, our best way forward. So yeah, I think we need to do more as as an archaeological community, professional archaeologists, academics, consultants, even just reasonable amateurs <laughs> um, who who have uh, a, a good good head on their shoulders. You know, just uh, engage in discussion. And there are people, obviously, in the pseudo archaeological field that you'll never convince, ever. I mean, they've got their mindset. They've got their their they're dug in and, and you'll never change their mind, but that's not the person you're trying to convince. It's, it's uh, the normal, just a regular average Joe who doesn't know anything about archaeology. This is the first time they've ever heard of it. And uh, that's the person you want to talk to and say, well, yeah, what they're saying might be true, but <laughs> here are 50 other things that are way more reasonable uh, about this particular story. So 
I, I do think there is a responsibility um, on us to, it, to participate in that. So I think the listener is going to be struck. So Daryl, because we have not published it yet, is it has just actually, so Stephanie Hoffer just on our last, um, this will be now we're a fortnight apart, Daryl, when you're doing a little bit of time <laughs> yeah. travel here, sit tight. But we, we asked Stephanie, what was her advice for countering pseudo-archaeology? And she essentially just outlined the exact method that you have outlined yeah. for dealing with. Um, oh, okay. I thought you were going to say she said the exact opposite. <laughs> oh no, no, it was it was oh, it was it was uncanny, including the bit about there will be a you know ten percent you can't reach or something like that. Yeah, no, it was, it was um, shockingly parallel. And and one of the other yeah. things that she brought up yeah. was that on on top of this, the same idea that you know it's on us to sort of be out there and speaking about it. And she introduced us this term called pre-bunking, which is that. If we're out there talking about this in the archaeological community more more often, the people that are going to be picking up the Curse of Oak Island are going in there with some sense of like, okay, well, this is how archaeology is done normally in the province. And these are the kinds of things that you would expect to find in an archaeological site in Nova Scotia on sort of a day-to-day -day basis. Um, and they're doing things very differently here. Uh, you know, and then they're sitting down to watch this show. I'm like, oh, this is a little bit different than what I, you know, what I what I understand archaeology of Nova Scotia to be, right? Oh, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm glad I'm glad we were on the same uh wavelength. <laughs> Absolutely. If you could focus in maybe a little bit just on in your experience, um, because I think this might be helpful for some of our listeners, just why is the the Curse of Oak Island TV show harmful in your experience as an archaeologist who works a lot in Nova Scotia? Okay. Um, I get. I. I guess it's difficult because I. I haven't. To be honest, I haven't found the show to be particularly harmful because what it does mm -hmm. is, like I just said, it it opens up that opportunity for discussion. You you meet somebody, you they say, "Oh, you're an archaeologist." probably about 15 years ago, I've been doing archaeology in Nova Scotia for over 20 years. And before the show, you would say you're an archaeologist and they'd say, oh, what, what kind of dinosaurs have you found? Or they'd <laughs> want to know about the rock. You know, they, they would get confused about paleontology and geology. Now, when you say you're an archaeologist, they, they actually do under, kind of understand what it is you do. And then you do get the questions about Oak Island. Um, I get. I guess pseudo archaeology itself can become dangerous when it when it becomes you know about things like uh, well when it becomes racialized or, or or something like that. The the Oak Island show hasn't really I don't think done that yet, so it's not really a, a dangerous show in that regard. But it's kind of a slippery slope. So it's 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 well along the lines of you know we need to respond to this show as a as a profession, um, and respond to what what is depicted on TV, not necessarily what's happening beside behind the scenes. I do believe there is some good archaeology happening behind the scenes that's just not being televised. Um, but what's being shown sometimes, you know, let us let let the archaeology, well. The professional community needs to sort of respond and, and say, well, here, we think this in terms of the interpretation. Um, in terms of uh, 
what the show has done at, in terms of damaging archaeology um, or perception of archaeology in Nova Scotia. I th it may have had an impact in other areas that I'm just not aware of. I haven't really noticed it. Um, maybe and and maybe when they found the uh, the Mi'kmaq artifacts, there may have been some, you know, backlash online uh, directed towards the Mi'kmaq about that. But I don't know. Um, the show has done a very good job of downplaying any backlash they receive. Obviously, <laughs> yeah. I don't want you to know. <laughs> Well, good news, Daryl. The Reddit, Reddit has been here. Oh, sorry, I interrupted. But yeah, the Go minute ahead, they found a piece of native pottery, the trench dig and road excavation was shut down instantly. If Mi'kmaq items are interlaced with the treasure, there's going to be a very long and expensive court case involving the fellowship, the Canadian government, the native representation in its country of origin, be that, you ready for this, England, France, or Israel. So, so there, takes us, yeah, yeah, and then you go pseudo archaeology becoming yeah. um, racialized, like and yeah, that, yeah. That's, that's the danger, right? Yeah, and it, yeah. It, it happens, and it's been happening for. I mean, as long as archaeology has existed as a discipline, so has pseudo archaeology for political or 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 racial reasons, gains, right? Yeah. So that's well put. that's that's the danger. So, you know, as, as although the Oak Island show in, in many cases seems very benign in terms of the, the pseudo-archaeology, um, you know, it, it, it's still something that the professional community needs to address. And again, I mean what they, what they, what they show on the actual show. I, I do, again, believe that there is some good archaeology happening behind the scenes that we're not seeing because it's not, it doesn't fit the narrative of the show. So you're not seeing it, but the the work is happening. And maybe, I hope, when the show is done and everybody can get away from their non-disclosure agreements, we'll, we'll hear about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, and that's Absolutely. like, a, so, so one of the things we wanted to ask too is like, uh, like so I remember when I was at U of T, um, this would have been, I guess, probably leading into the, I don't know, seventh or eighth or ninth season, somewhere around there. Um, Prometheus actually contacted essentially the whole uh, student body of, of the anthropology department, only the students, like only the only the students, none of the faculty or anything like that. Um, and an open casting call looking for an archaeologist to join their show, right, which which. You know, we responded by writing a letter. The Archaeology Center kind of wrote a letter to Prometheus and said that, you know, this is not like you should be hiring professional archaeologists, um, you know. So so and and the challenge there is that I think it looked like what they were trying to do was hire students who were archaeologists and sort of promote them as professional archaeologists. And we brought in these pros and, you know, we're doing things really above board when, in fact, it wasn't really kind of following what what standard procedure would be for sort of how you know, how a professional is in there. So like, how do you respond to uh, an archaeologist or a student who says, I'm going to get involved because um, that way someone responsible is there at least, or or if, you know, for example, they think that they can do some good there, right? Like you said that part of the problem is that, you know, there's probably good archaeology going on there, but it's all ending up on the cutting room floor. And so is this something that, you know, you would recommend somebody, you know, if you if you really want to kind of go out there and 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 tackle that, 
go ahead? Or is it something you would caution just because, you know, if you watch the show, you'll see that your role may be downplayed in a way that kind of actually like could, could damage, you know, sort of your reputation outside of the show, right? Like, is that something that you would, uh, where would you fall on that? Um, that's a really good question. Um, I would, f I, have, I have two minds. And the one is if you're young and trying to, you know, uh, make it and, and do all that, um, this probably isn't the right venue. Um, and because, well, it's tough. The, the show might, I don't know. I've never worked on a show like that, so I don't know. Um, the show might put you in a tough, in a tough spot. And, and you might have to, you know, say something um, you might regret. I don't, I don't really get the sense that that's the case. Um, in terms of this particular show, I do know that the archaeologist that they have has been around a long time and is, uh, is a veteran archaeologist. Like, um, he knows, he knows the system. He knows I think I, I think he knows what he's doing, um, and so that might be why you don't see him that much on the show doing outrageous things. <laughs> because, because his tone is very measured doing. on his podcast interviews, in my experience. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's the thing. I mean he, he you know, um, yeah, yeah, he knows what he's doing. I mean he's been around. He was been around longer than me. And one of the first jobs I worked on in Nova Scotia, he was one of the supervisors. So I mean he's been around a long time. Um, so yeah, I think if I was to advise a young person trying to break in, I would say this might not be what you want to do. Um, you know, find a good field school maybe go to Maine with Gabe or something like that. <laughs> I and and you heard it here, folks. There. The uh, the uh, the Northeast uh, Archaeology <laughs> Labs Sip uh, 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 Bay Field School uh, uh, running That's again right. in twenty twenty four. That's right, listener. Ken peeled off his lizard mask to promote it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and Daryl Daryl is a nice Templar, but we don't talk about it on the show. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> and and you said too that uh but it also sound you said that the the archaeologists working there have signed ha, like are are made to sign NDAs like non-disclosure agreements and so it's difficult to even I'm guessing it's difficult to even access like the archaeological reporting that's coming out of that um because like is the is is it sort of protected by the production that kind of thing Well okay so again I don't know 100% um that is actually an assumption on my part that they have signed some sort of an agreement, but um, again, I, and and maybe I'm just looking at it through rose-colored glasses. But I think that when the show is done, when they finally decide they've either found the treasure or they're going to give up, um, the archaeology that is being done, uh, we will get to hear about, um, and. I don't think it's going to be anything the History Channel publishes or shows. It's not going to be a show. It's not going to be anything spectacular. It's going to be something that us, as archaeologists um, working in Nova Scotia, are going to get to see. And and some of the sites that um, seem to be on the island, um, 
are are very very interesting and you know that's the thing is that the show it keeps making it out like oh look this little piece of metal leads us to this fantastic treasure but it's like but you do realize it it seems like you've got really cool sights on this island anyway <laughs> yeah. and you need it to be this weird fantastic thing but uh um my hope is that uh there will be something that that, that comes out um from the archaeologists working on the island doing the actual work that is is happening behind the scenes you don't get to see it you do get to see it a little bit every now and then the camera crew will show if if they find something interesting camera crew will show up and um, they'll be there digging with their trowels and the camera crew will say hey have you found anything it's like oh i just found this and you know obviously that's not <laughs> they didn't just find it but they knew that they had found something <laughs> um still still i mean i i do think there is some uh really good i think there's some fascinating archaeology on that island um and i think we will hear about it but just not while the show's on and again i don't know that they have signed ndas but i feel like, like there must be something because the show wouldn't want um people working on the show to say hey, by the way, I found this outside of the narrative of the show because they really like, like the show has a structure yeah. where, you know, certain people find things and they have all their fancy toys and they have their narrator and, you know, it's just, it's got a, it's got a formula. And yeah, like I remember, I remember in the first couple seasons, it's, it's set up in kind of a narrative way that like, you know, it's all leading to like I feel like the first season all led up to them finding like a nail on the beach or something basically like and it was you know the whole season was like cut scenes uh uh of them like oh, oh, oh like you know, and you know like sort of this like somebody's got this aha moment and and then the last scene is like them holding up a, like a corroded piece of metal um yep that yeah yeah so. they find a lot of metal they have a guy on on the show who is a metal detector um expert and he finds a lot of stuff. And that is a big part of the show is him going out with somebody and he finds things and then they go and get them um, looked at. And I guess, I guess that's actually, that's one of the big problems with the show is, is the interpretive leaps that they make, you know, they're trying to find this treasure and they find a, a piece of metal, you know, like that big, a metal little tiny little piece of metal a strap and they find it with the metal detector guy and he makes it out to be a big deal. Like, oh, look at this. So then they go and they have a, they have a blacksmithing expert who looks at all of their metal pieces and he'll look at it and he'll say, yeah, that looks like a strap, like an old iron strap. And then someone will say a strap for what? Like a barrel. And he goes, no, not a barrel. And they'll say, like a chest he goes yes it's a strap from a chest <laughs> and then somebody else will go do you mean like a big chest oh yeah a big chest <laughs> what would you put in a chest like that i can only think of one thing it's probably treasure <laughs> and then like all you get all the looks around it's like oh and that hey, that's that hook and then cut to commercial. Yeah. <laughs> and then you can narrate it next time on the Curse of Oak Island. 
and it's just <laughs> it's just unbelievable the leaps that yeah. they make yeah and, uh, yeah another leap they made was uh well it was a they found a lot of evidence of activity on the island like significant activity on the island um pre all of this looking for treasure and a lot of it you know ox shoes and big heavy iron chains and things it's like well it could be just lumbering but to them it's like no it's why would anybody be trying to get things off the island it's all about getting things to the money pit you know it's like well <laughs> we've got this big chain. well you'd only use a chain like that to move a big chest inland you'd never <laughs> use it to move something out you know it's like <laughs> like an oak tree that you might use for uh for for a mast for a ship you know like <laughs> i know yeah so that and then and then i mean i mean the narrator actually is fantastic i i i suspect he doesn't even know much about the show he's just that's his job he's the narrator and yeah. he's fantastic because he's always like could it be <laughs> and that's become sort of show is could it be yeah. Yeah. straps like He's this great. were used in uh templar ceremonies in the in the mid 18th century yeah well that's yeah. the no, thing I... is this blacksmith guy kind of looks at something and goes yeah and, and, and like again it's a little tiny piece of iron and i don't know i'm not a blacksmith so maybe he does know but uh he'll look at it and go yeah that's from a chest had to be you know really really big and probably from the 1500s I was like, what? <laughs> it's just this piece of iron. It's really dug out. So, I, don't know. I don't know. But you know, and part actually, this is actually part of the reason we want to have you on, Daryl, is that we, we thought you were better perhaps than we were at explaining kind of this to the public, right? That there's these differences in archaeological reasoning versus like how the public would like things to go, right? Yeah, so is this anomaly created by humans or by nature? You know, if it's by humans, what's the most parsimonious explanation? You know, and then Unfortunately, that's rarely that it's a nice Templar or buried treasure or um, whatever. And so then it's usually like kind of well down the line where you have to try to convey that as you've just done to the public where it's um, a little bit absurd. <laughs> Ken and I have enjoyed this every time you've explained it. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, uh, honestly, you know, what is it? Is it the Occam's razor thing where yeah. sometimes, sometimes the simplest explanation is the truth, but in archaeology, uh, sometimes the simplest explanation is still really fascinating. You know, like, I mean, people always are looking for the grand story, you know. Well, it's Knights Templar treasure or whatever, but it, whatever that artifact is, it could still be tied to, a, I mean, it's still tied to somebody. And that person had a family, you know, they had parents. It's still an interesting story that is worth investigating properly you know you don't just throw it off as uh oh well you know if it's not knights templar i'm not interested that's that's not not what we do right yeah absolutely. <laughs> yeah yeah like, yeah there's sort of an interesting history of the island that's really never actually been explored in any way because it it became this treasure island before anybody you know had an opportunity to kind of explore like you know, the, the Mi'kmaq occupation there. And then, uh, you know, the post-contact occupation, probably for various different purposes, like agrarian, I'm sure it was a, an outpost of some kind, uh, you know, during the uh, early colonial days and that kind of thing. Like, you know, I, 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 that's the other thing too, is I think that, I think that the show also doesn't make the listener aware that like, you know, 
in in these coastal regions in the south shore of Nova Scotia, it's like it's not unheard of that people were sailing here, like you know, the, the European ships in this area for several hundred years, right? Like you know, flotsam and jetsam may like push stuff up onto the shoreline. Like you take a metal detector, probably to many of these um, banks, you're you're going to find a scrap of iron that you could interpret as a chest piece or something. But uh, yeah, but, you flotsam know, and jetsam are actually the two blacksmiths on the show. I think I I didn't catch the names <laughs> yeah. entirely, but yeah, the, but no, uh... I, I think both of you are raising these like really important points about just this idea that um, the actual archaeology is just as exciting. I didn't want to, didn't want to name <laughs> Sorry, we, we promised Daryl we wouldn't put the Sioux in issue on this, uh, on this, on this program. <laughs> so, but, but I was struck actually, as I was listening to, um, you know, over six hours of, uh, of Oak Island podcast today, the similarities between Oak Island podcast and like AM sports talk radio. Like if you ever driven somewhere at, you know, maybe like two in the morning, you know, anywhere in the proximity of New York city and you put on the AM sports talk radio and, and someone is just there just kind of yelling about like, well, obviously the problem is that they just didn't trade for that closer. They clearly needed a left-handed closer. <laughs> And you said to yourself, I said, well, I, you know, I don't know. It's 162 games a year. You know, I don't know that this one one situation and the lack of a left-handed closer really broke it. Um, but it is this sort of like the degree to which you're able to approach these tiny, tiny situations without any idea of the whole, right? Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Holy cow. Gabe, that was one of the best metaphors I've heard in a while. <laughs> I, I didn't know you listened to so much am talk radio there but yeah. apparently but, uh, i listened but, to it too, but yeah yeah <laughs> but yeah no it, it felt a lot like that uh it felt a lot like that to me and and uh but alarmingly so um so when you're doing how often does oak island come up when you're doing professional archaeology in nova scotia daryl does it is it pretty ubiquitous Um, yeah, it comes up, uh, I wouldn't say on every project, but, uh, yeah, it comes up a lot and yeah. it can come up from either, uh, members of the public who, who you're dealing with. It can come up when you're, you know, on a construction site and, you know, you're just kind of, you know, monitoring and some guy will walk up to you and go, so what do you think about Oak Island? Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, it, it it comes up a fair bit, and it, it's it's tricky um, because well, I live here and I live on the South Shore, and I know a lot of people who work on the show. Um, not well. I mean, I'm not like close with anybody, but um, you know, I I try and treat it. I like like I said earlier, it, you know we need to as a as a profession respond to this so i always try whenever somebody brings it up i always try to engage them and say yes i have seen the show um i have some issues with it what do you think of the show and then um you know hopefully get into a dialogue but often it doesn't go very far i mean a, a lot of them kind of go yeah i know it's 
BS, but I still enjoy watching it. Is kind of the response I get from a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, I, I was telling honest, that. that's how I feel too. I mean, I still enjoy, I do enjoy kind of watching it as a sure. sort of guilty pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, totally. The no, in fact, I was telling I think uh, Ken last last fortnight that he, I was struck um, when I was in West Virginia during the pandemic. How many people had seen the Curse of Oak Island? And their reaction was almost essentially the one you're describing, like, well, I bet you don't do this kind of archaeology, and I know it's probably not quite real, but it's it's a lot of fun. Um and and I think your your uh, both of your points earlier about just conveying the interest and the fun of ordinary archaeology is maybe the challenge we face. And um the dialogue you discuss, opening up that dialogue and all the work you've done with things like the Nova Scotia Archaeology Society that does that right where you guys are bringing in you know lecture series you know all sorts of opportunities for folks that are interested in archaeology to go and talk to archaeologists to meet archaeologists and to hear about um all the great archaeology that's going on on the south shore and elsewhere in nova scotia yeah and and i think too it's it's like you know because uh like you pointed out daryl the 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 catch like the hook on that show is that they jump to these interpretations like right off the bat, right? And and, and you know, and I think that in some ways, you know, like we we want to be very cautious and and measured in our interpretations because they, you know, they have some bearing when you're, you know, particularly when you're working like on indigenous archaeology and and there there can be some implications for, you know, sort of the way you interpret things and the way we sort of uh uh go about this, but but I do think that in some ways um part of that education is also sort of teaching that that jump that you know that immediate i know what this is that aha moment um is is actually very much not part of the of what we do but that but that there can be kind of those things like you know like sort of talk about like a projectile point for example you find something you can actually kind of have one of those aha moments where you you can actually talk about what people were doing at a particular time that kind of thing yeah. and, and so the nice so, you temple know, are always corner notched yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> They're straight the yeah, contracting stemmed uh, uh uh with a, you know, yeah. with wide shoulders I think is the uh yeah, the trigger of the preferred. nice templar is it's that flake off the base. That's diagnostic nice templar. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. But uh, uh, another thing uh added on to Ken what you're saying is um you know, a lot of the the pseudo archaeologists, the ones who particularly the, the ones that spout this stuff, not necessarily the ones who who listen to it, but the ones who spout it, you can't change their minds. The thing about archaeologists is, yes, you can change their minds. As more data and more information comes in, your interpretation of certain things will change, and and that is, I think. An important distinction to make as well is that, you know, yes, we have ideas and we have interpretations based on data, but when that data changes, our interpretation will change too. So I think it's, you know, but these these other guys are always like, no, this is how it is. And you don't believe me because you sit in your ivory tower and you won't listen to me. But uh, we can, we can change our minds. <laughs> You know, we yeah. we have that ability, and yeah, and we, have... we do. It's all about the data, right? Yeah. It's all about the data. 
Listener, as the, as we get to half-finished bottles of Kovas, yeah, I'm actually not sure we could finish it on a better piece of advice than what Daryl just shared with you all. Yeah. And I wonder yeah. if that's perhaps where we should park this. Yeah, basically the scientific method, I think, is is what the, the what we've come back to is sort of the, uh, you know, I think that is incredibly important to our work and and uh, um, incre- incredibly important to the way we communicate, too. All right, Daryl. So I think we'll uh, we'll leave it there. And it was a delight to have you on the program. And uh, so as the snow flies in uh, in Lethbridge, Alberta, we're told you're going to go back out in the field pretty soon. And and so best wishes for uh, for the hottest part of the CRM season, which is also unfortunately the coldest part of Nova Scotia. So, uh, <laughs> and we really appreciate you coming on to share some of your knowledge about all this. And, and you know, and in particular, a lot of your work um, that just really articulates with, with sort of talking to the public about these popular issues in archaeology and 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 trying to um emphasize the kind of work that archaeologists are, are doing that can be just as interesting as as the oak island show and kind of winning them over one one conversation at a time so thanks very much for being on the program yeah thanks daryl thanks for coming on well well thanks to you guys um i'm a, I'm a fan of the show so uh hopefully you keep going Appreciate it. Oh, thanks, Tara. We really appreciate that. We're we're a fan of yours, as you know. So, so we'll uh, we'll have you back on. I think someday for a CRM roundup was the program we've been talking about having. So, yeah, and when we find the treasure, of course. Well, no. but there'll only be one of us at that point. It'll be a solo pod. Yeah, that's that's true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> that's what I worried he'd say. <laughs> <laughs> all right gentlemen all right. we'll have yeah, a good thanks, night Darryl. and uh and listener thanks for tuning in that was daryl kelman uh currently with wsp but who also has his uh, uh own consultancy kelman heritage there on the south shore of nova scotia thanks very much daryl thanks guys have a good night well that was a fun conversation that was yeah no it's, it's always good to talk to daryl um i mean he i mean he's one of the just one of the greats i think doing uh doing work around here yeah, yeah, we should uh, we should definitely try to get him to Saskatoon. We should. Do you think he's is he planning on going? You figure? I don't know. He usually goes to CAAs, but I don't know. Uh, Saskatoon's like not. I don't know. It's not a marquee yeah. destination. I don't know. That's a hall. Was he in Alberta? I don't think he was in Alberta. I don't think so. No, we well we would have seen him. So no, yeah, we would we'd have yeah. drink with my spec. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, so I I think. Um, the we we would love to tell the listener that all of our hit pieces are about um oak island uh but they are not they're about something much more dangerous even that's right let's say even more dangerous than oak island so i think it i think it is time for hit pieces then right now are we talking smack this uh listeners so so this week <laughs> i i think we uh if you're playing bingo right now i think you may have just heard the uh exact uh the what is the uh the the inhale what how does what aspirated term? yes yeah. the aspirated yes <laughs> yeah i think it's yeah yeah um and so this week's hit piece uh features uh friend of the show dr nadine byers uh and co-host uh dr gabriel reinick um, uh, an article that just came out in the SA Archaeological Record. And for those of you who are interested, this is a an open access uh, magazine style publication that the Society for American Archaeology puts out. 
um, uh, quarterly. Um, and so if you are interested in learning about sort of some of the um, kind of hot topics in archaeology, uh, some of the new trends and theory and method, um, sometimes there are special issues. Uh, it's a great uh, venue. And for those of you who aren't affiliated with an institution where you have university access to um, journals and that sort of thing, um, it is a way that you can actually pick up on academic archaeology without uh, without paying uh, out the wazoo for that uh, or or being affiliated. So um, the title of the article is a life-saving part of an archaeologist's first aid. Sorry, and we should just say that that the thing Ken is about to describe, it, it's a drug. It does not go in your wazoo. It goes in your nose. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so this life-saving part of the archaeologist field first aid kit is naloxone. And so Gabe, do you want to tell us a little bit about how this um, uh, this article came about? Uh, for those of you wondering too, Dr. Nadine Byers is an actual doctor, um, and so uh, and and works in the emergency rooms in New Hampshire. Uh, so she doesn't work in the emergency room. She works in the um, in a, a outpatient family practice, but also does um, obstetrical care. But has an, an interest in addiction medicine. I'm um, just okay, my wife, go. I guess. I yes, guess. yeah. So I, I, well, I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure how you wanted to frame that. So yeah, yeah. no, no. So, so there are a number of emergencies, but but mostly not in the emergency room, is my understanding. <laughs> but, okay. Yeah. So um, so yeah. So why don't you tell us a little bit about how this article came about and what uh what you guys are are bringing to uh, uh to sharing with with the audience? Yeah, absolutely. And so um, the uh, Dennis Maine Field School takes place in um rural Maine, and uh, as we were sort of prepping, Nadine said that she thought uh, we should consider putting uh, Narcan, which is brand name Naloxone, in our first aid kit because it's um, there's basically there's a number of reasons that the listener might think about doing this. Um, and I think we're going to have Nadine on to actually talk about the details of this more and sort of what yep. um, Narcan does. Um, but basically, it reverses the effects of an opiate overdose. Um, and opiates are used in abundance, uh, unfortunately, um, in many communities in North America, probably elsewhere too, um, and are risky. And they, uh, among those communities are rural communities. It's not just an urban problem and also university students. Um, and so we were concerned that there could be um, either an overdose among students um, or uh, among uh, a community sort of bystander because we work in in public places and so the idea was having a bit of this uh, would not be a bad idea um, around the time we were writing the article it became an over-the-counter prescription uh, or sorry just an over-the-counter drug in um, the united states that you could buy so we and, and do you know if that's the case in canada now i am not sure and and we'll we can when we have nadine on to talk about it i guess we'll check on that yeah yeah um but so it was the, the first season we actually had it in the kit was last season. Um, and Nadine was able to write a script uh, for us to get one. Okay. Um, and then this year we just um, actually to ch test it for the article. <laughs> I just walked in uh, with Nadine and, uh, and told the pharmacist I wanted some. Uh, it, it was fairly affordable. It was like $80 American. Um, you were testing if you could buy it. You weren't testing the naloxone itself. No, no, I wasn't. Yeah, yeah. The, the, uh, I'm, I'm a super taste. I know all the flavors of naloxone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, uh, yeah. And, and unfortunately, it does not come in a lovely mint, uh, flavor. No, no. And, um, but no, and the point of the article is just that this is a thing that you should perhaps be cognizant of, especially if you're working in the kind of area that, um, maybe rural and underserved. Um, yep. it's a, it's a long ambulance ride, uh, in Maine. 
to the sort of place and, you'd be going. Yeah. And I think anybody who works in rural New Brunswick or is from rural New Brunswick is, uh, you know, understands that too. You know, the, yep. the um, closures of rural emergency rooms, um, sort of consolidation of uh, medical resources to particular locations and the difficulty in getting even ambulance service to some of these places like yeah. um uh you know 911 I don't think was was across the board in in New Brunswick until a few years ago basically yeah. and and so uh uh depending upon where you were you had to know the number for the emergency services and so yeah. um I think this is a great idea um and and Gabe mentioned that Nadine is going to come on the program here to talk about this a little bit more and so one of the things what we're planning for the spring is in the lead into the field season, the New Brunswick Archaeology podcast is actually going to do an episode sort of highlighting health and safety um, and some of the ways that you can prepare for the field season, um, some of the way, things that you can do as either a field director or somebody who's participating in an archaeological dig. Maybe you're going out in the CRM world. Um, and just some tips uh, and some guidance on how we navigate this. Um, and, and, you know, as somebody who worked in the private sector um, for a large company that, you know, uh, uh, was really had, had safety top of mind. Um, there's a safety culture in a lot of, um, uh, environmental consulting businesses. Um, it can come off as a little bit silly sometimes. Uh, but the, 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 the take home point with a lot of this stuff is that, um, we all enjoy the work that we do. We understand that sometimes the work that we do can actually be kind of dangerous. Um, and nobody wants to end up in a situation where you don't come home. Uh, yep. at the end of a dig, right? Um, or that you are left with some kind of life-altering condition uh, because you weren't doing safe work or you weren't prepared to do the work safely, basically. And so that's a really important thing to take away uh, when you're doing field work, um, when you're planning for field work, and we hope that we can maybe provide you with some resources for that. That's right. I think one other thing that we just wanted to emphasize um, in this paper is um, that when you go into a community and you're working in that community, um, you want to appreciate that they are in some sense looking yep. out for you, right? You're you're um, using their, I mean, even at just sort of fundamental level, if we just reduce this to kind of a coarse economic calculation, you're taking advantage of their ambulance service and their hospital and so forth. So you, but, but I think most of us feel a kind of, um, or want to feel a kind of connection and are trying to, to be a part of those communities we work in um, because we really value those connections um, and yep. we value the human aspect of that work. So um, we want to make sure that we are bringing resources to help situations that might present themselves in whatever community we work in. So yep. um, that was as a opposed to here. burdening them with, with, uh, with, a, with additional potential Exactly. Uh, yeah. yeah. I, I think that's part of it. And I think also just the, the recognition that um, it's a it's a small um, it's a small way to make, uh, you know, a little part of the world you work in a little bit safer. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, you sort of imagine it's it's you know, this is like a very coarse comparison, but it's the equivalent of the automatic defibrillator in the mall, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, or at the right. Why not have right? it in the truck? Yep, exactly. So, yeah. Yep. So. Um, so yeah. that was the point of the article. We'll get Nadine on to actually talk about it and explain what the drug does and yeah, some other safety yeah. things here at some point. Um, but uh, we'd appreciate it if you take a look, especially for going in the field, because we think it'd be worth uh, looking into uh, tossing in your first aid box. Yeah. And congratulations, because this is Nadine's. Is this her first archaeology publication or she had something in the main bulletin, didn't she? Uh, no, she's had... Um, uh, Nadine has published exclusively on addiction medicine, which I think is interesting. Um, <laughs> I, I believe her other uh, paper was on 
uh, the listener will probably not look this up, but I, I think it was on on managing uh, pain in C-section patients when the mom is also using or or, or is um uh, on a uh, some sort of treatment to get off opiates. But this would be her first archaeology publication, is that correct? Absolutely, yeah. No, okay, and, and and we're just very proud to have uh, Nadine V among the most published New Brunswick archaeologists. Now it was uh, <laughs> exactly, exactly. It was a really crucial step that we thought was important. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so that's great. Uh, thank you for that. And, uh, and I think that wraps up our hit pieces for this week. I think it does. I think, um, but, uh, but we've had a lot, so we're, we're not concerned about the, sometimes it's gotta be one hit piece. Exactly. And that, and that's, yeah. uh, sometimes it only takes one. Yeah. You know, um, I, I keep thinking it's going to be like that Paul Revere and the Raiders song. And I always think it's uh, hits keep getting harder to find. <laughs> but it turns out that was actually just uh, what was running through the head during my American Legion baseball career. Oh, <laughs> so it was not the hits were getting harder to find. I just <laughs> in a bit of a slump. I don't know what it was. <laughs> but it's kicks, listener. That's, that's the song. It's, it's kicks, yeah. listener i think we uh uh i think we have uh i think I, we hope that you've had a, a a chuckle actually um and uh um and picked up some tips uh as it relates to uh pseudoarchaeology and engaging yep. with uh with folks that are um taken in by pseudoarchaeology or or programming that that uh, maybe not isn't maybe not sort of uh uh the quality that and and kind of content that you would hope to see um, archaeology being uh, shared with, but uh, um, we will probably be continuing to invite some experts on about this, um, and we want to uh, we want to continue to sort of uh, push back on some of this stuff and and find ways to engage with people and and keep the conversations yep. going. Absolutely, and um, we really want to thank Daryl again for coming on. Um, you know, as well as Stephanie in the earlier program, and and uh, and we we just sort of appreciate, or at least I appreciate the sort of spirit of humility and openness with which they approach this um, topic. Totally. Um, and, uh, and I think of, you know, just genuine, you know, what can we do to, to um, improve this community and bring archaeology to, uh, to anyone who, who would benefit from knowing more about it, which is exactly. kind of the spirit of this podcast. And so it's really great to talk to folks who are better at doing that than we are in no ways <laughs> to, <laughs> to work on that. Yeah. So, so, so lots of thanks to both of them. They're they're very busy. We appreciate them coming on. Yeah. And so until next fortnight, uh, listener, uh, when we will be chatting with Bonnie Pitblado about uh, um, uh, archaeologist collector relationships and all that fun stuff, and and start our next two part series. Uh, 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 have a great couple of weeks. That's right, Ken. I think we're looking at a half finished bottle of Covassier, and we will see the. Or we won't see the listener. We'll because uh, we're. This is probably still too long for YouTube by about an hour and a half. We'll talk <laughs> to the listener uh, in a fortnight. So have a good night, listener, uh, and we appreciate uh, being part of your your commute, your flight, your marathon, whatever it takes. Night, listener. Mm-hmm.